Well, there we go. Good morning. And welcome to the Christian Church of Vestas Park. As you know, we are disciples of Jesus, and we build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. Pastor Aaron, I'm glad that you're with us as we continue our series on the Kingdom Perks, talking about some of those many benefits that we have as we follow Jesus and some of the great things that God does for us. And last week, we talked about purpose, how God gives us purpose in our life, and our starting from our design through the suffering that we have, and also just in general, all of the things that we do in life, that God has made us purposeful. And that's pretty wonderful. Aren't you glad that's not the only benefit that we have for following Jesus? Today, we talk about another wonderful and valuable benefit that we have of following Christ, and, and that is that we enjoy His provision. Before we talk about that, however, we do have our memory verse, and I hope that uh, last week kind of got a start on this as we remind ourselves that God is the one who is in our lives, and uh, the resulting uh, portion of that is regardless of how life is going, in the moment we know that we have a sovereign God over all things, and he is uh, to be praised because he's at work even now. So with that, let's uh, just remind ourselves of this passage, and then we'll, we'll get into the message. So say it along with me, three, two, one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. All right, again, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. And last time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. Awesome. And of course, you know, on your connection card, which of all hopefully have filled out, this on the end there, there is a Bible memory verse card there for you. If you need one, take it with you, a reminder. And you know, having a life of gratitude does really help us to see what's uh, really there. One of those things I've uh, I tell my son and other people often is that we always tend to find what we're looking for. That's not by mistake. It's what God has designed us to do. So, for example, if you're you know looking for a, buying a new yellow truck, all of a sudden you notice there's a lot of yellow trucks out there. Why? Because you're looking for them, right? Well, you know what? There's a lot of blessings in our lives, and most of the times in our lives we miss them because we're not looking for them. And that leads us to lives of feeling like maybe we're distant from God because we're not looking to see his hand in our life. But the more we begin to look for his hand in our life, the more we will inevitably see it. And that changes our perspective on everything. And I would say that's probably no more true than we talk about provision. Because provision is something that happens in all of our lives every single day, right? We, we have needs. Which is why we heard this passage this morning, that, uh, and Jesus even addresses it, that the pagans in this world spend their entire lives, all of their thoughts, everything, worried about the necessities of life. You know, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, all of these things, right? Occupies the minds of unbelievers all the time. There's a reason for that, right? And it has to do with the fact that we have needs <laughs> because God made us in this world to not be independent. And... Originally, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, if we go back to the original design that we had, that we recognize that God created us in a space where all of those needs were always met. That Adam and Eve, at the beginning, never had problem, right? There was never a need that they had to worry about or anything. But, of course, uh, it didn't stay that way. And to understand that, that after the fall, after they rejected God's offer to, to follow him, they, God said, all right, you want to do the world the way you want to? Then we were kind of on our own. 
And uh, we suffered all kinds of insecurity, which is why in our world, most of us in our society suffer from what we call the rat race. Right? People occupying their heart and mind, their entire lives spent upon trying to meet these needs that they have. And ironically enough, oftentimes killing ourselves, trying to get the things so we can just survive. But here's some good news for you. Life doesn't have to be just like that. God has more for us than to just eke out a living. We are more than just the curse. And we understand that when we follow Christ, we enjoy his provision. And not just his provision of some things, but his holistic provision for all of our lives. Understand how God provides for us. Let's go back again to the garden. And let's think about how God made us. Because you can't know how he provides you until he understands how he's providing for you. How did he make you? And here's something that might be a surprise for you, is in the beginning that God made Adam and Eve, and he made them with a body. You have bodies, right? That's an important thing, that the church isn't just here to, to talk about the spiritual, right? That God made you with a body. That came from the Lord. In fact, it was the very first part of us that was created. It says in the beginning that God formed our bodies out of the earth, out of nature itself, that we are Inex- we, are, we are tied to this, this world. And our bodies then, are, of course, are subject to natural laws because they're made out of natural substance, which is why none of us can fly, right? It's why we, we, we have all of these things, all of the natural laws impact all of our bodies, all of our lives. Gravity works, right? It just does. And so we're, we're part of this. Well, part of the natural laws, we have to feed these bodies. We have to clothe these bodies, like heat and temperature and weather and all those things matter, and I realized that in the garden that God met our physical needs in Christ. But you know that he didn't just make us bodies. There are a lot in our culture that, that this is a shock to them. That when God formed Adam out of the, the ground, right, out of nature, he wasn't done yet. He had a body, but then he breathed spirit into Adam. Which means that, that humans ever since then have carried both a body and a spirit. And just like the physical body is subject to the physical laws, the natural body is subject to the natural laws, the spiritual self is subject to the spiritual laws, which is why we are moral beings, that the spiritual laws of right and wrong and all of those things affect our spirit, and our spirit has needs. That we have to feed our spirit, and we have to make sure that we nourish the spirit and exercise the spirit, just as scripture teaches us, and the Spirit can be uh, healthy or unhealthy, just like the body can be healthy or unhealthy. And when God made us with a body and a spirit, he didn't just create those two separate things and made them, like, set them aside or whatever or just kind of balance them around each other. It says that when he created us, he formed the body out of the nature, and then he breathed the spirit into the body and combined the two, which is what our soul is. The soul is, is the amalgam of spirit and body. And so it's, the, uh, it's basically the, the usness of us. It's when the two come together that we become who we are. Now, oftentimes we think of it things like our mind and our heart. This is why identical twins who can have the same genes and grow up in the same families can be very, very different people. You ever wondered why that is? Well, they're different spirits, and so their souls are, in, are unique. But this is also why, if you have somebody who maybe has had a, a traumatic brain injury or something like this, their personalities may change, right? Their, their 
uh, their minds may change or their passions may change. That actually can happen or malnourishment or somebody who's gone through a traumatic uh, endeavor in life can change their heart or, right? This why, because the soul is subject to both the natural world and the spiritual world. And so both affect us. Now, here's an emotional, amazing thing for us that, that God doesn't just let us be on our own with having a body and a spirit and a soul and say, like, well, I'm just going to care for one of those things. Like, I'm going to meet your spiritual needs, but not your physical needs. And some Christians think that's the way it is. And some think, well, maybe God just meets my spiritual needs, but I'm on my own for the physical stuff. Or maybe God only cares about my heart, but doesn't care about any other thing. I want you to hear this, that God cares about us body, soul, and spirit. He cares about all of us because he created all of us, which is why we find that the greatest commandment, what was it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your spirit, with all your strength, your body, and all your mind, all of you. And that God wants us to bring all of ourselves to him and to love him, but to know this too, that God also comes and he cares for all of us. Our body, our soul, our spirit, our heart, our mind, our soul, and our spirit. God cares for all of that. Now, while God made us this way, of course, the curse affected every one of these elements. The curse, of course, affected the body. The death came into this world, right? And so our bodies die. We find there's a lot of death in nature. And even nature itself is wearing out. But it wasn't that the only thing that died. Do you understand that the soul also, the spirit also died? That the spirit was connected to God who is life and that sin separated us from that life. And we've suffered the spiritual death which affects the heart and the, and the mind which is why we find so many times that, that the depraved person, the person without God, the person that just lives according to this world or carnally or the fleshly life we find in scripture, it says, what does it lead to? all kinds of depravity and depression and brokenness and bad thinking and all that kind of stuff. That God did not design us to be independent from him or to be able to exist in any healthy way apart from him, but that's what we try to do. In fact, it's what most of the world tries to do still, isn't it? But God has done something amazing for us. That Jesus came to this world and he died for us and rose again, not just so that we could have new heavenly bodies, and not just so you could have a clean spirit. He gave us new full life. And in so doing, he doesn't just bring us to life. He provides for that life that he brought. And so let's go back then to Genesis 3 and see how it all broke down. And, and why we have this struggle to begin with. And uh, the, why is it that sin separated us from all of those good things? So Adam and Eve sinned, right? Adam was formed first, then God made Eve and he puts in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you can eat from any tree, just not that one. And then there was this serpent that showed up and, and tricks Eve and says, hey, God is holding out on you. And if you eat from that tree, then you'll be like God and you won't need him for anything. And so Eve sees that fruit looks tasty. She says, well, I would like to not be needy for anything. I would like to be like God in that way. So I shall eat it. And so she did, and then Adam, who was with her, who didn't say anything about this, also ate it without any trouble. And then there was the brokenness. God comes in the garden, Adam and Eve hide. They're like, oh, we're naked. God comes down and says, hey, where are you? 
you know, come here, what's going on there? It's like, well, we wanted to see you, but we're naked. He says, how did you know you were naked? Why is that bad? He says, you eat from that tree? And they're like, yeah. And then he asks Adam, why did you eat from that tree? And he's like, well, because of that woman you gave me. Which was true, but also not the whole story. <laughs> and then Eve, he says, is this true that you, you, and she said, yes, but it's because of that serpent that was in here, which also was true but not the whole story. And to the serpent, he, cr- he curses. To Eve, there was a certain level of, of, of curses. And then to Adam. And we read in this, in Adam's curse, it says to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch out a living from it. This is why the world is the way it is. It's not that God doesn't provide or that he couldn't provide. It's that's part of the fall. It's a natural part of it. When we wanted to be independent from God and we declared that independence, guess what we got? Independence. And most people spend their entire life eking out a living, and it's not just a physical type of life that we try to get. Most people are trying to just get by in any way possible, right? And so they get the physical things done. They're trying to figure out what kind of makes them emotionally happy or physically, or, you know, uh, spiritually happy, all kinds of crazy things just to eke out uh, an existence in this life. But I want you to know that this wasn't God's last word. Isn't, aren't you glad that God's last word wasn't the curse? We read in, in 1 Corinthians, it says, For an, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That Jesus is the one who undoes the curse and in a great and enormous way. And he does so in, in two different ways. The first is, it, it's in the same manner that, that, that Adam brought death. In that same manner, Jesus brings life, right? For example, that when Adam and Eve sinned, they took life and then they brought physical death. And guess what then Jesus does? He goes from death and he brings us to physical life. Whereas the sin of our proto-parents brought guilt, Jesus brings innocence, where, where sin, what happened in the garden, brought enmity between us and God, and we became his enemies, Jesus allows us to instead have love and restores that bond of relationship. In the same measure, or in the same ma- manner that, uh, that Adam and Eve fell, Jesus brings us back. But it's also the same measure, right? It's not just that that we have these things, we have them back to their full. See, without God, we have spiritual depravity. We're completely spiritually poor. How do, we, how do we feed our spirits when we're disconnected from God? And that's what sin did, is it brought ultimate death. And in Christ, we have ultimate life. In, in Adam's sin and through our own sin, we have emotional despair. The brokenness of this world leads to hopelessness, but in like manner and in like measure we have eternal hope now in Christ where as Adam's and Eve's sin separated them from the God of the universe who created all things in his brilliant mind and so we've been trying to figure out this world on our own ever since and we've lived in ignorance so in Christ in the same measure we have access back to the infinite mind of God in all of his wisdom and all of his understanding And just like in the garden where we were thrown into physical insecurity, where we suffer from sickness and hunger and and brokenness in this world, 
and Christ, physically, we will be restored to new bodies, those that will never die. But even in this life, that God cares for us. So in Adam and Eve, we lost it all. In the sin, we've lost it all. So in Christ, we gain it all. That is pretty good news. Romans 8.32 even says that, that he who did not spare his own son, right, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? All things. Not just caring for you in a little bit, not just eking by just a tiny bit, just to give you enough to kind of get you the next things, that God provides everything holistically for us in our lives. So let's talk looking about what does that mean in our lives. And it begins when God starts providing for our spiritual needs. He does that. And he's the only one who really can. Our greatest need truly is salvation, and, and our spiritual need really begins there. Ephesians 2 says, For as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. Now, it's an interesting thing. It says you were dead while you were living. How is that possible? We're saying your body was alive for a while, but our spirits have been dead. At the moment of sin, we've been separated from God. And how is that true? How is that possible? How can you be living and dead at the same time? Understand that we have a a bad idea or a misunderstanding what death truly is. Some people think that death is to stop existing, but that's not true. Right? Death is the opposite of life, and life is not existing. Right? The absence of life is what death is. But, but you can exist. Those chairs that you're sitting on exist, don't they? But they're not alive. In the same way, right, our spirits can be dead while still existing. The difference is that we understand that, that death is the absence of life. That's when something is dead. And who is life? What is life? God is life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That God is the author of life. Jesus goes and he talks about that he is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from him, we can't do anything because we're basically dead. (laughs) Recognize when our spirits were separated from God, we were separated from life itself. And just like when you cut a flower and you put it in a nice vase, it looks pretty for a little while, but it's already dead. And you just get to watch the dying portion of that happen, right, before your eyes, which is why flower arrangements are so depressing, (laughs) right? So many of us are like that in our lives, though, right? We look beautiful and alive for a short period of time, but are really just a progression of death, and that's what happens in our soul. It was separated from God. Ephesians chapter 2 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgression, it's by grace that you have been saved. We've been saved by God's grace. He didn't have to save us. We were his enemies. We separated ourselves from him. That's on us. But God came back and said, reconnect with me. And how do we do that? We're saved by grace through faith. And this passage, if you read a little bit further, it's in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We trust in him. And Scripture, New Testament says we express that faith through our belief, that trusting in God, even if we have doubts, right? It's it, that faith is expressed in, not just in our belief, but also our repentance. It's, it's following God as though he really is our Lord, right? Doing what he's asked and living life according to his standards, not ours, right? Living that. 
Uh, it's also, it's expressed in our confession. When we identify with Jesus and by faith say, I can't see him on the throne yet, but I know he's there and I know he's my Lord, right? And I'm his follower. It's expressed through baptism. It's expressed through our discipleship that we do at this church as we're disciples of Jesus that then build generational transformation of disciples. All of those things, expressions of faith. But none of those things save us. What saves us is God. And he does it simply by his grace because he loves us. Not because we've earned it so that no one can boast. So once we are saved, Scripture says that we are born again. And if you're like Nicodemus, you're like, well, that would be awkward and weird for both me and my mother. But that's not how it works. He says you're spiritually born again, that you have a new spirit, a one that is now fully alive, one that will never die again. That's amazing. And the cool thing about it is that God didn't just provide spiritual life for us so that those of us who are in Christ now have a living spirit which will inevitably affect our heart and our mind, right? But he goes on because you know that being born isn't your only need? Just like your body needs more than just being born, there are other needs that your body has. Your spirit has the same thing. And God does more than just bring you back to life. He makes sure that our spirits have everything they need to be healthy. In 2 Peter, it says that his divine power has given us everything we need, guess what, for a godly life. Everything. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You know that we don't have to look to other religions or, or uh, like Eastern religious practices or spiritual things. To, you know, you don't have to get the right kind of incense out there or, or do some kind of chakra, whatever stuff. You don't have to do any of that. Jesus provides everything you need to be spiritually healthy. Not just to be malnourished, everything. And that includes, it starts with his own presence, his Holy Spirit. That God is not far from you, he's actually within you. And the Holy Spirit's job inside of us is, is raising us up, helping us, building us, nourishing us. He is God himself dwelling within you. That's pretty fantastic. And not only that, he's given us his holy word, right? Direction, which is spiritual food for us. That as we lead it and we read it and it goes into our lives, it transforms us. That we can't go very far without Scripture, but He's given us the Word. And more than that, He's given us His Holy Church, His body to connect in. And spiritually, as we connect towards one another, we grow together, healthy, filled with love, with purpose. That God has provided everything we need spiritually, which is awesome. So we don't have to supplement. But God doesn't just meet all of our spiritual needs. It doesn't stop there. Remember, you're spirit, but you're also body. And it's important for us to understand that God also provides our physical needs. But unlike our spirits, our bodies still are subject to the curse, right? Because our, our bodies were born, or our spirits were born again, but your body hasn't been yet. That's why your body's going to die. But guess what? God's going to get you a new one. But right now, our bodies, they're, they're still subject to this broken world, and they're still broken. And most of them are like, amen, Aaron, test, testify, right? And the older we get, the more we're aware that our bodies are wearing out. But our bodies are subject not just to brokenness and sickness, but also to temptation, right? Also to, to all of those things that pull us in the wrong direction. But here's a cool thing for us, is that one day God's going to give us a new body. Just like he's given us an eternal soul, a new soul that's alive. Second Corinthians talks about this. He says, so that we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And he said, Aaron, this has nothing to do with bodies. It has to do with buildings and tents. 
Well, in this passage, and I encourage you to read it in context, Paul is talking about, he's using these analogies for us. And he's saying, he's, the tent is our body, and the building is our new body. And think about the upgrade, because in Estes, we know something about camping, don't we? And would you rather live in your pup tent or in your nice house? It's an upgrade, isn't it? You've got plumbing and heating and windows and chairs and beds and all kinds of nice things in your house, right? Houses are always better than tents. In the same way, the body, the physical body you have now is temporary. It's not something that was designed to be lived in forever. But the new bodies that God is giving us are like homes. They're eternal. They are more durable. They're more fantastic, more glorified, much, much better, which is something awesome. So when we get to heaven, we'll have these amazing upgrades that we get to look to. We're moving from the tent to the house. But God doesn't just provide us something for the hereafter physically. And I'm glad he does, which is why as Christians, we don't fear death. In fact, Paul says if to, to die is gain, right? If, but, but to live then is Christ, right? And we still have to be in this world. And fortunately for us, God has not just physically left us on our own. In Revelation 21.4, it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be more death than more mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away. Ultimately, we will see everything change and physically we're going to live in a place without any physical problems. So he's not just giving us new bodies, he's giving us a whole new space. But even in the here and now, Get this. He says we seek his kingdom and his righteousness above all these things, his righteousness above all things, and all of those stuff, all of the things like our, our needs for what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, will be given to us as well. That was the passage that Amy read earlier this morning. That all of the physical needs that we have in this world, God also promises to provide us. You say, Aaron, well, I have, I have doubt. Doubt! That's why Jesus said, ye of little faith. He knew that we would have doubt. But here's the deal. If we can trust Jesus for our soul and for eternity, why would we have trouble trusting him for today? Every one of us that is here has been provided physically for up to this point, right? None of you have starved to death yet. Uh, God is with us right now. And here's the invitation. And here's the, that you don't have to receive his provision physically. You as a Christian can seek other things first. You could try to make your own way. You could try to do things on your own. You can try to put God as second place or third place or fourth place or whatever, and he's not, you're, so you're saved by God's grace through faith. We're not saved by that. But when you seek his kingdom and his righteousness first above all else, you put him first, one of the benefits you get is God says, I will also now make sure if you're trusting me, I will take care of you. Amy and I got to see this firsthand. Now, there was a time in, in our life when things were really, really difficult, and there was a lot of hospital visits and bills and things like this, and it was really, really rough. And I remember one time, I looked at the money that was coming in, and, it was my, and I knew all the stuff that was going to go out, right? And I knew the amounts that were there because we had big hospital bills and other things like this, and they just barely squeaked in there. But the problem was, if I tithe, if we tithe, there wasn't going to be enough. We had to make a choice. And, and Amy was in the hospital, and I remember sitting on her bed with her, and I was like, I, I think we can't afford to tithe. I don't, I don't think we can't do this. And Amy said to me, because she's so wise, and that's why the Lord gave me such a wonderful wife, and she's faithful. She said, Aaron, if we don't have God, what do we have? Like, he's promised to provide. Let's trust him. And so the hardest thing, because I have my tithe kind of go on auto, because that way it helps me, I didn't change it. I didn't touch it. 
And it was the hardest thing when I saw it go out that day because I didn't know what the complication, what was going to happen. And the amazing thing was is that God met all of our needs. It was amazing. Like, the, we wouldn't have enough money for her medicine was one of the things. Before we left, the doctors came in and gave her all the medicine she needed for the next month. We, we came ahead of the deal on that financially. God met our needs. But we had to make the decision to put him first. But once we did that, I tell you, the peace that I have in life, because I don't know if you've noticed, the economy does this. It's a roller coaster. And when it goes down, it's not we fun, right? But what I've discovered in life is that God holds me. That I don't have to be like the pagan anymore, worried all the time about what I'm going to eat or drink or wear, all that kind of stuff. If we seek the Lord, he cares for us. And I've seen it firsthand, not just in our lives, but in many of yours as well. Now, having our physical needs provided is amazing. And that's not just what we're going to eat or drink or wear. We know this too, that we pray for one another. And there are times people get sick and they don't need to be sick. And so we pray for them and God brings them healing. Sometimes God's going to work through their sickness. So sometimes he allows them to stay sick. But even in that, then he provides what they need, right? Sometimes uh, through the church, sometimes through other things. But he always provides our needs. So spiritually and physically, we are provided for, which means that he also is going to provide then for our emotional needs because the spirit and the body, they join together, make our soul. And our soul, part of that is our, is our emotional needs, that God meets us there too. God does not abandon us in this life to be, you know, just deal with the brokenness. The, 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 he cares for the, the you-ness of you. He cares for you deeply. Many of us are being crushed by emotional weights of the heaviness of this world. You know what Matthew uh, writes that Jesus said? Jesus said to those of us that are dealing with difficult things, he says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. And he didn't say he's going to burden you more. He says, I will give you rest. And then he goes on and says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Could you use rest? We don't have the emotional answers to everything, but we do have an invitation to go to God. And as we go to him for our physical needs and our spiritual needs, we come together, we find rest in him because he has you. He's bigger than today. He's bigger than the brokenness. He's bigger than the pain. He has a purpose in all of these things that he's working out, even if we can't see it. And so following him, we, we find that we have trust in God. And as we trust in the Lord and follow what he's told us to do, there are some benefits that we have. He begins to give us peace. He puts our hearts at rest. In Psalm 34, it says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Even at our most down and difficult place, that God is not far. He's not distant. He's not like come back when you have everything together, when you're feeling good. God is not the God that says, you know, plaster on a fake smile. He's the God who says, come to me now just as you are. And in me, I'll be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to carry you in this. He's the God who listens to us. He's the greatest counselor. In fact, the Holy Spirit is known as the counselor. But God, he fills our hearts with something different than this world, which fills it with anxiety. Our God fills our hearts with hope and joy and peace. In fact, we read about this in the book of Galatians. He calls them the fruits of the Spirit. These aren't like mystical, weird things. It's the stuff that just happens in our life slowly. God brings them in his time. But those are the fruits of the Spirit. That as our spirits change and we follow God, 
Look what he brings into our hearts. Because pretty much all of these affect the heart, the emotion, don't they? Love. Uh, love is an emotional need, isn't it? To be connected with God, joy, not just happiness. God knows that this world isn't always happy, and it's not supposed to be. It's a broken place. But he can bring us joy in spite of the brokenness. How about this, peace. Could you use peace? Miss of all the trouble that's there, all the questions, all the stuff that's out there that God meets our hearts and brings us peace in the midst of those moments. In Scripture, it even talks about peace that, that surpasses understanding when the rest of the world is like, whoa, and even you'd be like, it doesn't make sense why I am not freaking out right now. But the reason is not because we're going to the Lord <laughs> with, and, and bringing our burdens to Him with thanksgiving, being grateful for who He is, not for the problem. And we enjoy peace that no one can take away. Every one of these passages, every one of those fruits of the Spirit is a fruit of the heart. That God helps us emotionally, meets us in all of our needs, never abandoning us. Of course, He meets those needs through the Spirit, which is why it's important that we seek Him. There's a word there, too, that God doesn't just meet us through the Holy Spirit. There's another word here, which is all alone, which is ironic, because it means... If you translate that Greek word, it means together, one another, right? And that's what it means. So in Scripture, do you know there's, there's a lot of times, over a hundred times we find this word in the New Testament. And over half of those times are actually things or commands for the church to do things together, one another. A way that we serve one another. Fifty-nine times, actually, in Scripture that talks about these that we serve one another this way. We love one another. We care for one another. We encourage one another. We forgive one another. We build up one another. We teach one another. There's 59 times in Scripture we're commanded as a church to do these things one another. Why? Because as a church, one another, we're meeting each other's emotional needs. It's one of the ways that God cares for the body is through the body. That's why churches matter. So God meets our spiritual needs. He meets our physical needs. He meets our emotional needs. But here's one that's also important is he meets our intellectual needs too. When I was younger and coming into the faith, there was a, a, a lot of these people that were saying at the time that if you're a Christian, you had to check your brain at the door. There's nothing that could be further from the truth. God is the God of truth itself. And to know him means we have to engage our minds. Our minds, our understanding of who he is. And so we understand, what is truth then? Well, truth is that which corresponds to reality, right? Reality exists, and if you say, so if I said this is a piece of paper, and in reality this is a piece of paper, it actually exists, and I tell you it's a piece of paper, I'm telling you the truth, right? If I said it's a tiger and you believed it's a tiger, you'd all be freaked out. But over a lie, it'd be a paper tiger, right? It's just a piece of paper. That's truth. And ignorance is the opposite of understanding truth. Ignorance is, is a lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, right? To, to know what the truth is is knowledge, right? And ignorance is to misunderstand what that is. So the ignorance is to, to either not even know this exists or to believe it's the wrong thing. And we've been living ignorant lives apart from God ever since the fall, trying to figure out this world in our own way and look all the crazy ideas we have. And because of that, our minds are darkened. But God didn't leave us alone, he didn't let us to continue just to believe the lie, the wrong understanding of the world. He wants us to know the truth. In fact, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
pretty amazing, isn't it? That if we know him, we can actually know reality as it is. Which means that not knowing Jesus, of course, is perpetual ignorance because you can't know the truth without knowing him. And as we know who Jesus is and the reality of that he is the creator and he's made this world and in the world as he's revealed it to us through scripture, it builds not just a, an understanding of life, which is our philosophy, a not ignorant philosophy, an actual philosophy that's based upon truth, but also a better theology. We understand who God really is. And ignorance about God really is, starts with an ignorance about his creation, or leads to at least an ignorance about his creation. We don't understand why the world the way it is, because we don't understand who God is. But because we have Jesus, we understand God put on flesh. We know who God is. We know what he wants. We know what righteousness is. We know the truth of life itself. We have a great foundation then for understanding everything because of that. In Romans 8, 1, however, it talks about those who continue to live in perpetual ignorance. It, it's damaging when our minds are poisoned. Look what happens. It says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godless and the wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Right? Where does ignorance come from? When we suppress truth, when we get away from it. And it results in God's wrath, which is not good. And even if you don't believe in God, it doesn't keep you from his wrath any more than if you say, I don't believe in Chryslers, right? And then you walk into the street and a Chrysler hits you, right? It's still going to hurt. God exists and his wrath is real. And a lot of people live their lives spiritually beat up because then they can't even see what's coming because they don't believe it's there, but it's there. Ignorance is, a, is an intellectual starvation. It's a poisoning of the mind. It makes us believe the wrong things about what's there so we cannot understand the world the way that it is. We, and Scripture says when we exchange the truth of God for a lie, we, we have these minds that become thinking of crazy things. Our, our thoughts become chaotic, unra, un, unreasonable, irrational. Isaiah 5.20 warns that people actually begin to mistake what is good for what is evil. And what is evil for what is good. And the things that poison their soul, they actually think are healthy. It's like the rat who eats the poison thinking that it's nourishment. That's what happens to our souls. And it starts when our brains, our minds are broken. And then the result, Romans 1, it says that they have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They're gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. I read that one to Thomas for emphasis. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy does this look familiar? Do you wonder why the world is so broken? Because the soul of people is broken. Our souls are broken, our minds are broken, and we can't be anything other than this poison thinking. It doesn't mean the person is awful. It means that the poison is awful. And so many who are stuck in this kind of way have poisoned minds, but isn't this great that God didn't just abandon us to the poisoned minds? He's given us everything we need intellectually so we don't have to continue to live in this type of self-destructive depravity. In Proverbs 1, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And we want to begin the process of feeding the mind. It says we begin with this, fearing the Lord. And fear means healthy respect for, not terror of. We begin to respect God for who he is, that, that Christ is creator, that God exists. When we begin there and we have this humility that he's Lord, that means that I'm going to begin to follow what he has to say because he knows what's right. And then I begin to grow in my knowledge, understanding what is true. And as I live my life according to what is true, my mind becomes more healthy. It changes, just like when you take a malnourished child and, and begin to feed them. Their body changes. Same thing with our minds. And how do we feed ourselves on the truth? Through the Bible. Look what Jesus said. Sanctify them. This is our prayer, actually, that Jesus prays for us. This is what Jesus prays for us. Sanctify them, right? Make us saints, right? Raise us up by the truth. God wants us to understand what is true. It changes us. And what does he say is the truth? Your word is truth. That's why reading scripture is so essential. It's why we go into it. It's why it's, it's so important that we understand and feed upon the word regularly. And you get that through reading the Bible, but also by listening to it expanded on Sunday morning is one of the reasons that we come. But don't just eat once a week. That's not healthy. We need to feed our spirit and our mind regularly. And so we have that. It's one of the reasons we have the Bible memory verse, constantly putting that into our heart and mind. We have to also then, as we understand what is truth, then we need to accept it because here's the newsflash. The devil understands that God's word is truth. He just doesn't eat it. He doesn't buy it. He doesn't nourish himself on it. And so he's spiritually dead. But not so for us. When we read the word, we need to bring our lives into conformity with it. So when you read the Bible and it inevitably tells you something that offends you, good. It's supposed to do that. Because your life was already being poisoned. It needs to tell you a different way. It's up to us to then say, if, if the Bible says one thing, God has it, and you have something different, one of the two of you is wrong. And if it's between you and God, I have a guess as to who's not right. So when God tells us something that says we need to change, you need to repent, we need to do this different thing, I need to... That's wonderful. It means the word of God is working in our lives. Not that God is mean, but he's wonderful and his word is actually more than just your mind. So we begin to bring our lives into conformity to what it says instead of trying to conform the word to our life. Why would we do that? And as we accept God's word, it sanctifies us, which means that it transforms us from the stinky sinners that we are with the broken brains that we have into saints. A higher level of thinking. Romans 12, 2 then says, so do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a renewing of the mind that happens when we feed it, just like when you feed a malnourished child, right? And they grow. When we feed our malnourished minds, they grow and become healthy again. They are transformed, able to do things that they weren't able to do before. So we need to stop poisoning our minds with worldly thinking. Our world is broken. It does all those other things. Our world has crazy ideas as what's right and wrong and all kinds of stuff how it's supposed to be. Don't worry about that. It's poison. Keep yourself from it. Read the scripture. Understand what it is. Apply it to our lives and it will meet the, and the emotional and intellectual needs that you have. And as it does it, it transforms your thinking to see the world as it truly is so that you can live healthy, good lives that are good, pleasing, and follow God's perfect will. So the other half, of course, is not just having knowledge, but to know what to do with it, and that's wisdom, right? And as we have wisdom, it says if you need lack wisdom, you can ask God. 
So once you have the understanding of what's true, then you can ask God what you should do with it. And the Holy Spirit will help you. And he says he's going to do that without finding fault. He's not going to look in your life and say, you deserve wisdom? Mm -mm. None of us deserve wisdom, but God will help us. He counsels us so we know how to accurately apply the truth that he brings into our lives. So, God provides for us. What a perk. Holistically, every part of our lives, every area of our lives, as we follow him, he meets our needs. He meets our spiritual needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs, our intellectual needs. Our God provides for us. How do you, what do you do with that, right? What's the next step that you could apply with that today? Well, if you take out your connection card, I have some things that I will encourage you to do. The first one, if you take out your card, on the back, you'll see there, is, is would you memorize Ephesians 1.3? Feed your mind on the word of God. Meditate on it. Chew it up. Think it through. God's word is nourishing your soul and your mind. It'll affect how you, how you process it even with your body, right? It, how you live your life. Spend time with it. Something else you want to do? I, I'm giving you a passage there. It's a long one. 1 Samuel 16 through 2 Samuel 24. Why that passage? Because that is the life of King David. And if you would read the life of King David, you will see how, what it looks like for a person to go from the very beginning of their life, and what does it mean to find their provision in Christ, their provision in God. And this was even before the New Testament, right? How amazing is it? But you'll see, David went through some really difficult things. He didn't do it perfectly, but you'll see how God provided for him over and over and over again. And that scripture is there for us. So we can see an actual physical Real historical person, what is it like with God's provision? Spend some time in that. That's going to be a powerful one. Also, would you give God your first fruits? That's seeking him first, his righteousness. Yes, of course, that's tithing, but it's more than that. It's how about your energy and your time? Can you wake up in the morning and give God praise the very beginning of the day? Instead of saying, I will read scripture when I have enough time, or, or can, can you give him the first bit? Or instead of maybe saying, God, I'll serve you when I have some extra left over, can you find ways to serve Christ with your energy first? Uh, the first part of your week, the first part of your day, the first, can you give God your best? Start there. Seek the Lord and his righteousness above all else. He'll meet your needs. And the last thing I want to encourage you to do is to pray. You need to talk to God. You need to obey as he's telling you what to do, and you need to trust that God actually knows what is right because that's the only way that we walk in the provision and enjoy the provision that God has for us. So hopefully in one of those things, I've given you something you can do. There's also a place you can put your prayer requests. And just a minute, um, Jesse's going to give you a second to, to think through and, and make, write these out. But then we're going to have the baskets pass. I encourage you, please, take these connection cards, drop them in the basket along with your tithes and offerings as they come. Make this your first offering to God this week. Let's pray for you as we do that. Father God, thank you that you love us unconditionally, that you are good Father, in every part of our life, that you provide for all of our needs out of your riches, and that you care for us, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. Lord, we want to seek you first. We want to walk in righteousness, but there are times that we don't. So, Father, I pray that you would help us, encourage us, give us the strength to follow you, to seek you, to obey you, to grow in you as you sanctify us by your word, as you provide all of our needs. Father, help us to trust you as you do your good work in through us. Father, for those that are here that are struggling and suffering emotionally, uh, maybe uh, intellectually, Father, physically or spiritually, Lord, I pray that you would meet them right now in this very moment, that you would teach them and show them how to follow you, to connect with you, to 
find that life and provision in Christ. Lord, we pray all of this in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.